Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Today with us, we've got uh, Scott Smelser. How are you today, Scott? Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, Justin Dobbs with us as well. How are you, Justin? Doing fine. Doing fine. Good. And Dan Bunting. How are you, Dan? I'm great. Good to see you. All right. Um, well, we did have a question that came in from one of our viewers, so we want to uh, kind of introduce that and then get going with the discussion, trying to answer some of those ideas. So, um, Justin, you want to get us started with that? Sure. Yeah. The uh, the original question I think we had come in, a really considerate question. I appreciate this. It's not just a curiosity. It's practical. Um, but this is a topic that I've had to consider more and more recently is how to share the gospel with Muslims. What are y'all's thoughts about where to begin and how to proceed? Uh, they don't believe the Bible. They have some misgivings about Jesus. Sometimes it sees, seems overwhelming to me to know where to start. Uh, first thing is kudos for using y'alls. Uh, really appreciate that. That is uh, correct grammar in the plural. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an important question. How do you how do you talk with um, with Muslims about about the gospel about the Bible? Um, where do we start? And um, I've, I'm, there's a place that I like to start with people. I've, uh, I've had some conversations kind of casually uh, with Muslims. I've had some intense studies with them. There was an occasion when we lived in Boston, we got to, uh, I got to go to um, the mosque there and study with an imam uh, for maybe about six weeks until we just realized we weren't getting anywhere. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask. But the line of questioning uh, just came with uh, forgiveness at its heart is we all know we need forgiveness. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, each of these three religions uh, talks about sin. And so uh, what is sin? Uh, why is it such a bad thing? And then how do we take care of it? That's kind of a central problem that these three religions are going to need to deal with. And so without necessarily going to the Bible or talking about the Bible versus the Quran, uh, I found it really helpful just to talk about uh, the economy of forgiveness. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, let me pause there, though, and see if, if you guys, uh, where do you usually go when you think about talking with Muslims and they're not accepting the Bible? They don't believe the Bible necessarily. Or have you found that you can go to the Bible? I'm curious what you guys have done. Well, I think I think one one important way of, of making a connection or, or seeing if, if the connection can even be made is um, trying to figure out if, if we're all talking about the same God. Uh, theoretically, uh, Judaism and Christianity and, and Islam are all speaking about the same God um, uh, somewhat different ways, and there can be some argument, um, but, 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 but they're all supposed to be speaking about the same God, maybe not well, but that—that that is a point that that um, is helpful to, uh, to to make a connection with somebody, uh, so that we're we're trying to figure out not fighting over who's got the best uh, uh, avenue to God, right? But um, trying to figure out are we all trying to 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 meet God, trying to get to God, and then that mm -hmm. leads into I think it can very easily and smoothly lead into why do we need God because because well, we're a mess. Uh, that's why I believe one of the reasons we need God, but then also yes. because we're, he created us. And so, so even if we were in a mess, we still want God. And, and so the mess part 
um, my sin, my failings, my mistakes, my missing of the mark uh, can, can well fit into then just in that discussion you mentioned of what about forgiveness? What about this debt? What about this, this hole that, that needs to be filled in? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that kind of conversation can go in a lot of different ways. Um, what I've, what I've heard from my Muslim friends and neighbors is that um, we all do believe in the same God. It's just that we have kind of the most up-to-date OS when it comes to accessing God. Uh, we're using the most recent prophet um, so we need to listen to Muhammad, um, that sort of thing. And if that's true, then absolutely. Um, but then there's some, there, there's a line of question you can go there too when we think about uh, Muhammad as as the prophet. Uh, if I accept Muhammad, then why do I also not accept the Book of Mormon? Um, you know, so there, there's kind of a line of question that you can use talking talking in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, Scott, you've done some studying. I've, I've sat in some of your classes about. Um, Islam, what's kind of your spearhead point? Two, two things. One uh, is that uh, Islam teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he raised the dead, that he healed the blind, uh, made the blind see and healed lepers. And I've read about half of the Quran and haven't come to a single miracle Muhammad has done yet. Uh, you get to discussing this with Muslims and some will say that he used his fingernail and carved out and created the crescent moon. Uh, I don't think most people think that's why we have a crescent moon, but if that's the best they could think of as a miracle, you know, and then somebody says maybe he prayed for a guy that got injured after a battle. But I mean, that's, you know, we've all prayed for people and sometimes they get better. Sometimes they don't. Um, one question is why would all these fantastic miracles accompany the lesser prophet and then no miracles for the greater prophet? The second point I would make is from, uh, John chapter five, verse 31, Jesus said, don't believe me if I'm just bearing witness of myself. Look at the external witnesses, John the Baptist, the miracles I'm doing and the prophecies of scripture. And that's exactly what Muhammad doesn't have. Mm -hmm. No forerunner that was a holy man that everybody respected who said, hey, it's not me. It's that guy. There's no miracles and there's no prophecies. And so he's the one bearing witness of himself. Yeah, all those are, and and there's not going to be one size fits all uh, to the to this question. How do I talk with my my friends and neighbors about um, about the gospel if they're Muslim? They don't accept the Bible. Um, I would say that that at least in in word, um, there's sort of a lip service to the Bible. You know, we're, we're, I think Muslims would say Old Testament, New Testament, and then the Quran. I'm not sure how how true that is, or if they've even read. Uh, many Muslims have even read the Bible. Um, so yeah, be aware of a lot of different uh, conversations you can have with or without the Bible. But I'll tell you what's worked for me. Um, in, in Matthew 18, Jesus teaches this parable uh, about a master who has a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. And, and what I've done is I've just taken this parable and I've retold it. Um, 
I've, I've not asked them necessarily to turn to Matthew 18. If I'm on a, a subway station platform, we usually don't have time to turn to Matthew 18. I just go through the story. And I said, imagine that you uh, owed the bank a lot of money. You've bought a house, you've gotten a loan, and you owe the bank a lot of money. Uh, you have this debt. And so you come into the bank one month and you can't pay. It, it is, it is, you're up to your eyeballs in debt. You just lost your job. Uh, you've been injured. It's unlikely you're going to get a job anytime soon. And you just come in and you're late uh, and you're, you're begging for mercy. And the bank says, which they would not say this, but let's imagine, <laughs> you know, that the bank's really nice. And they, they say, that's okay. We will forgive your debt. We will forgive your debt. You, you owe us how much money? Oh, $300,000. Okay. Well, that's all right. We, we forgive it. And they break out the big ledger book and they just, what do they do? And, and it's that question that I found gets people thinking, if they forgive the debt, what happens to that debt? What happens to that $300,000? Right. Forgiveness is not just striking out some numbers. They eat the cost. Right. Uh, they have to make a payment. And if they don't in our nation, I mean, there may be some corrupt nations in the world that just, you know, fudge the books and banks probably in this this uh, country that do that too, but uh, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in big time trouble. So you have to balance the ledger. So the question is when we have wronged God and we incur this debt and it needs to be forgiven, what is the process that God has chosen to balance the ledger, to bring things into, um, into balance? And this is where we start talking about Jesus. Um, now you can talk about the Old Testament. You can kind of take the long way around. And if they believe in the Old Testament, which I think you know, a good Muslim is supposed to, um, you can talk about animal sacrifices. And what is the process? What's the reason that Jews were told to offer sacrifices? And that's kind of a curious thing. Uh, I think Muslims today do offer a animal sacrifice. I've not done a ton of research on this, but what they've done, and this is this is kind of a neat link. Um, what they've done is they choose to offer a goat or a sheep uh, one time a year, and it's to honor the memory of Abraham's faith, offering a sacrifice, his son. Uh, there's a little bit of difference about, was it Isaac? Was it Ishmael? And Muslims believe, I don't think the Quran actually names the son, but by tradition, they've, they've said, you know, that's, that was Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his faith is exonerated. And so we say, wow, look at, look at Abraham. He's been really faithful. Curiously, in the medieval times, there was a major sect of Muslims. Kind of, they went through like an enlightenment uh, where they said, actually, Abraham wasn't supposed to do that. That was a bad thing, which is why God offered a substitute. But why did God offer a substitute? You still got animal sacrifice. So, so why is this sacrifice? Why is this death necessary? Why is this a good thing? Why would a good God even require? the life of some animal, some person, what's going on. And it's to balance the ledger book because when we sin against God, there is the need for a death. There is the need for life being given. And we have to see that God is a God of love, but he's a God of perfect love and he hates sin. He hates evil and it deserves punishing. And he'd rather not punish us, but he's got to punish He's got to be just, and he can't just say, well, we'll erase that debt. So that, that's a, a process 
that I think we've got to think through whoever we are, we've got to think about how does forgiveness work? Dan? Well, what I like about that is because we can, we can riff, we can talk about and refer to some stories in the Bible and there can be some question as to which is the most authoritative text, but, but we can refer to these stories, but this concept also is played out um, in, in day-to-day uh, interactions. I was speaking just with my children yesterday and uh, one of the boys did something that was frustrating or bad or what, whatever they were playing their game and it was bad. And he said, I'm sorry. And he was frustrated that his brother didn't want to then continue doing whatever it was or didn't want to answer. He was really frustrated because I said, I'm sorry. And that means it's done. And I had to try to explain, but, but you did a bad thing and you've said you're sorry and he forgave you, but there's still this hole. (laughs) There's, there's a, there's a cavity there. There's a problem. And the word sorry doesn't make the hole go away. It doesn't fill it in. And, you know, a brother, give a brother five minutes and then the hole can be forgotten and the kids can go off and play again. But that's really the big crux of the matter is, can I just say, well, God, whoops, and then move on. Uh, uh, God's a really merciful God. And sometimes he lets us say sorry and move forward. But we have to admit that, you know, we, we made a problem or we dug a hole and what happens to that hole? And uh, this world is, is full of holes. And we as people learn to work around them. We, we learn to be merciful with each other. But sometimes, you know, just the reality is we have wounds. And, and uh, I think that this discussion is helpful to get, to get um, anyone of any religion really thinking about well, how do we handle these wounds? How do we handle these holes? Um, how could God deal with that? Is he just yeah. going to forget about it or not? Yeah. And, and that uh, I like that you bring that into personal relationships, because what we think about the economy of forgiveness, what we think about how we relate to a perfect good God who has forgiven us our debt, it changes the way that we forgive people. If, um, if, if I am parked in your driveway and even by accident, pull out my car and I knock your fence down and I get out and say, oh, wow, I am so sorry. And you're like, that's ah, okay. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, that's nice. You know, there's been some forgiveness going on. You still got a fence to mend. There's mm-hmm. still a problem. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to rebuild it. And either I'm going to repay, I'm going to, I'm going to pay to have that fence built, or mm-hmm. you're going to pay to fix that fence. Somebody's going to have a a fence to fix. And so when we've broken something in sin, we we have damaged a relationship. We've done wrong. Somebody's got to pay. And we understand that in personal relationships. So when we forgive someone, it's not just, well, how do I forget? Forgiveness feels like paying. Forgiveness feels like rebuilding a broken down fence that I didn't break down. I mean, it, it feels like dying, honestly. Uh, it feels like I am hurting myself to cover up this hurt that I've incurred. That's what forgiveness does. So when God forgives, and the, the master in this parable forgives 10,000 talents, um, he eats that payment. I mean, he's going to be out 10,000 talents, but he expects the servant to change. In Islam, our, our Muslim friends and neighbors, coworkers, they think that forgiveness is a big deal. They think forgiveness is important. Allah wants us to forgive. But here's, here's what they have 
to enforce the idea of forgiveness. This is in uh, Surah Tarim, verse 8. I'm mispronouncing this really badly. But it says, O you who have believed, repent to Allah with sincere repentance. Perhaps your Lord will remove from you your misdeeds and admit you into gardens beneath which rivers flow on the day when Allah will not disgrace the prophet and those who believed with him. Their light will proceed before them, and on their right they will say, Our Lord, perfect for, perfect for us our light and forgive us. Indeed, you are over all things competent. Hmm. Did you catch the word? Um, that sort of uh, mm-hmm. was the prologue for this forgiveness, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like there's sort of this, maybe, maybe God's feeling it today, maybe not. Um, and if you believe, and if you repent, and you turn around, but there's no, there's no economy here. There's, there's no justification. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter three, uh, that, that God can be just, as in Romans three, verse 26, he's showing his righteousness. He is just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. God can't just say, you know, that's all right. I forgive you. He, he has to be just to forgive. Uh, he, he can't just strike through the books. He's got to make a payment. Scott? That writes Romans 3, 23 through 26. And one you want, might want to turn there and read it uh, for the audience. Romans 3, 23 through 26 makes it clear that the sacrifice of Christ is what enables God to forgive us. Our repentance itself is not enough. And one of the points it makes there is that this showed that God was just when he justified people because he made sure a penalty was paid um i've compared it to you know if if uh dan is a judge and and i'm a criminal and i'm brought before him and he says case number whatever against uh, oh scott what are you doing here i said hey you know yeah i did this crime if dan goes i know i know scott i've known scott a long time so i'm going to dismiss his case was he merciful was he just? Mm-mm. No. no. Uh, Dan says, um, uh, Scott, you're, you committed this crime and you're, you're guilty. You pleaded guilty. The, uh, there's like this $5 million fine or you go to jail, you know, for years and uh, won't see your wife or kids except on visitation. Um, you have 5 million bucks? And I say, nope. He says, Bye-bye. Was he just? Yep. Was he merciful? Nope. No. Just and merciful would be if he dipped into his pockets, gave me the money for the fine so I could walk free. And that really emphasizes, as I come down the courthouse steps and somebody asked me about the case, where there's a TV interviewer, there's no room for boasting. You know, it's like, you know, I, somebody else pay, redeemed me, paid for me. That's grace and mercy together. So uh, whoever's got that Romans 3 that Pat pointed out. Please. Yeah, I've, I've got the reading, and um, there's another verse I think it's going to fit with it. I'm going to start in verse 21 just to get a bigger idea here. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And in the next chapter, there's just this neat moment in chapter 4, verse 16. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. And, and there are a number of moments in, in, in the Bible where, the, like just in what you read in the Quran, perhaps, but so many of those perhapses, perhaps God may give me a blessing here and now. Perhaps he will make these days be better. Uh, perhaps my child will not die. But in the concept and the idea of forgiveness, the idea of, of perhaps is not there. In One fact, oh, go ahead. One place, Acts 8. Acts Sorry. 8? Yeah. Repent and pray if perhaps. God okay. Okay. And, and so, so I guess what my point here is, is that because of this great work of the righteousness of God, what Paul is saying there in, in verse 16 is it's all on his shoulders. Uh, you know, it, it, it's guaranteed because he can do this great thing. And um, the perhaps <laughs> kind of comes back to us. Am I going to pray about it or not? Maybe that's the point there in Acts chapter eight. Um, I had forgotten about that, about that word used there. Yes. What, and to use Scott's illustration a little bit further, um, and I think this is where a lot of people, this is not something just for our Muslim friends and neighbors. This is something for people because we have this idea that as long as I have more good deeds than bad deeds, yeah. then I'm a pretty good person, right? Um, but imagine in the same scenario, uh, let's say Scott is uh, a cardiologist and he has saved hundreds of people during his lifetime. And then they've been looking for this, this murderer, you know, <laughs> he's over there doing it right now. Uh, he's, he's looking for this, this murderer for something that happened 20 years ago. And then suddenly evidence comes to light. It all points to Scott. Scott was the guy who murdered this guy. And he comes to the judge and, and the judge says, well, why should I let you go? What, what, what do you have to offer? He's like, well, I've saved hundreds of people. That does not make up for killing somebody 20 years ago. And we have this concept, and I think it's reflected in several passages in the Quran, that when we repent and we're doing good deeds, we're sort of stacking favor with God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in the courtroom. It doesn't work that way in the courts of God. And so we've got to think through, how does God then justly forgive? And he doesn't just do it because he's God. Um, it's in Genesis 18, where Abraham, who, who admits he doesn't, he doesn't see all that God sees, but he says, should not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Genesis 18, where God's going to explain Sodom and Gomorrah to, to Abraham. God wants us to understand. So this picture in Romans 3 of propitiation, uh, it's a big word, but it's a very practical word because it means that somebody ate the cost. Uh, Jesus 
took the punishment for our sin. He, he absorbed the wrath to make atonement. Now, if you go back and you look in the Old Testament or even this, this Muslim picture of animal sacrifice, we have to start thinking through, well, why animal sacrifice? And how does that even work? And when Adam and Eve sinned, then they were covered by the skins of these animals and God made sacrifice so that their shame and their guilt could be covered. Why does that work? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and Hebrews talks about that. But you don't have to talk to your neighbors about the book of Hebrews necessarily. So let's open our Bibles. You can just ask them, which life is more valuable, the life of a goat or the life of a human? Scott's there in the court and he says, tell you what, I killed that guy. Here's a goat. Sorry about that. That's not going to work. You know, the, the family of, of that victim is not going to say, oh, well, you know, now we feel a whole lot better about this. But that's, and I don't mean to be irreverent, but that's, that's part of what's happening in the Old Testament is you're laying your hands on this animal and you're slitting its throat and its life is pouring out of its body. And as you're watching this thing die for something you did, you know that that can't balance the scales because you are made in God's image and you broke his law willingly, knowingly. And so it's going to take a greater sacrifice than that bull, that goat, that lamb. And so when Jesus comes and offers his lifeblood, now you're looking at a propitiation that can rightly absorb our a payment that can rightly balance the books. So turn it around on your friends and your neighbors and say, who's, who's balancing the books? Whether they're Muslim or not, you can ask the question, how, how are your books balanced before God? And if you're Muslim, just saying, well, I repent and I pray five times, you know, those are great things, but it doesn't make up for the perfect life that you owe God. Uh, and I, I found that whole discussion really helpful. Um, you're basing it off of biblical things. You're having conversations about biblical passages, but you're not demanding that they are familiar with those passages. Scott? And let's remember, it's really helpful whenever we're talking with anybody about anything to start at a common ground point. Yeah. You know, start where you disagree, start where you agree and build on that. They believe in Mosaic law. Well, in the, the law that Moses was a prophet of God. Right. So you look at all the temple sacrifices and all the ideas that there need to be blood shed for sin and then the Romans destroy the temple and it led to nothing. Whereas here, it leads to a whole the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. I, the discussion about uh, the concept of debt and, and how expensive this is, it reminds me of uh, Psalm 49. And I, it's not terribly long. I'd like to read the whole Psalm. Um, because it it speaks about the <clears throat> it speaks about uh, it's trying to say settle down when the bad guys are bad and let's think about who and what they are and what they are unable to do and it, and it and it talks about the um, the the inability that all men mankind has in getting ourselves out of this mess it doesn't necessarily say how we can get out of this mess as we appeal to God, but appealing to God is the key here. So I'm just going to read Psalm 49. 
Hear this, all ye peoples, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I'll incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark sayings upon the harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil when iniquity at my heels compasses me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is costly and must be let alone forever. That he should still live always, that he should not see corruption, for he sees that wise men die, the fool and the brutish together perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and that their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after them after their own names. But man abides not in honor. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet after them, men approve their sayings. They are appointed as a flock for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning and the be- their beauty shall be for Sheol to consume, that there be no habitation for it. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he shall receive me. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not uh, descend after him. Uh, Though while he lived, he blessed his own soul, and men praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. Man that is uh, an honor and understands not is like the beasts that perish. It doesn't say a lot about why God might save my soul, but it demonstrates just how empty um, those who are not reaching and using God for the, for the one who's going to pay the debt. The rich can't afford that. The wise can't figure it out. And the fools die the same way as the other two. And so there's nothing that we can build up, uh, amass together. Um, if I build a monument um, like a pyramid in Egypt, that doesn't mean that I live forever. Maybe someone will remember my name, but it won't matter in the long run. And remind us the number of that psalm, please. That's Psalm 49. Very good, very good. Yeah, and th- that idea that we can't amass our own wealth to repay the debt is important for everybody. Um, I think m- Muslims who believe the Quran would, would agree with that. But then the question is, how does God pay that debt? Right. Uh, Job 9 says something similar. And you have to be careful about Job because sometimes they're not talking right. <laughs> so you kind of like you know, read, read through this, but they're presenting some problems. And Job says in Job 9, verse uh, verse 2, uh, truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Mm-hmm. Really good question. Verse 3, if one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. And Job realizes, look, if I were in the wrong here, there, there'd be no way for me to stand before God. I want to stand before God, but I have no one to mediate. And what he says toward the end of this chapter, I think is really impressive. Job is thinking mighty thoughts about God. God is great. God is holy. But then he says in verse 32, he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. 
Let me read that again. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. There's nobody who could argue God's case to me, Job says, so that I could understand it. And there's no one who could argue my case to God and rightly represent me. There's no one who can say, all right, here's God's position and here's man's position. But then Jesus comes along and presents this solution to a problem that Job recognizes he has. I think it's just incredibly powerful. And I remember sitting and studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Imam in Boston. Um, It's just such a beautiful solution. And no man would have thought to come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense that God would become a man to save man for something he did. But it's the it's the wisdom and the glory of his his mercy that accomplishes it. So and those are some, some logical ideas you can use to talk to um, to people. Uh, they're based in biblical truths, but you can just talk through those ideas. Dan, my understanding of uh, of who Muhammad was and who he is taught to be um, absolutely supports what you're saying. That's not a, a role that Muhammad stepped into. He he did not mediate. He um, um, as a prophet of God, uh, that is not the work of mediation. Um, he, he would be someone through whom God sent words alone, um, not to um, necessarily communicate a change in man so that man could speak back through Muhammad to God and, and use Muhammad. Um, I want to be careful, not that we use Jesus as a tool, but we use Jesus as a way that we appeal to God. He is the way that we cry out to God, both in prayer, but um, Jesus's life and death and resurrection is the means that we can cry out because of Jesus, Lord, please listen to me. And Muhammad did not do that. Uh, he might have. He may have said some good words. A, a lot of prophets have said good words, but he did not do that for mankind. And so there is, you know, Job is older than almost any of the texts in the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that it's one of the older writings. And so um, it, here is something that is an ancient appeal for someone, something, um, some person. Who could do uh, who could do this? And no one in in all of uh, human and divine history has stepped into that role, other than Jesus. Scott, uh, we got a comment came in Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight that Jesus purchased us with His blood, and of course that ties into the whole idea of redemption. Mm-hmm. And redemption is a common again theme in the Old Testament. That and if if it doesn't lead anywhere, it's, it's, it's just kind of a dead end. Uh, so redemption, uh, a really important word, for instance, there in Romans chapter three, uh, and the word ransom uh, used elsewhere in the New Testament, they're from the same Greek root word. And if you look it up, a ransom is what you pay to redeem someone. And somebody that's redeemed is somebody that was freed by payment of a ransom. So you've got this background of redemption. Things can be redeemed in the Old Testament and such. And then you have, to illustrate the word ransom and redeem, my favorite story is one about Julius Caesar. Uh, Because the the Greek word wasn't a a Christian word. It was like uh, baptized, wasn't a Christian word. You dip something in water or you sink or whatever. Uh, So... 
uh, Julius Caesar was captured while he was rather young uh, by some pirates and he was being held on an island as the pirates did then and did many years later and were recently doing in Somalia and they hold people for ransom. Uh, and so they said, so you have to write to your friends and tell them they got to pay us this much money or we're not letting you go. And Julius Caesar laughs. <laughs> he says, you don't know who you've got, <laughs> but he gets to the amount wasn't that big. So he writes the letters, they send them out, they get the money and they release it. Uh, he goes back to Rome and later he uh, takes a Navy and goes and catches and kills the pirates. Uh, after having played sports with him on the beach and things like this. Um, but, you know, there's a ransom to be paid and, and Jesus is the ransom. So to define ransom, ransom means killing the people who took you hostage. The ransom was with freedom. He was freed. He was free when the money came in. They paid for but this is a good point. This is a good point because Julius Caesar, he's he's absolutely human. And I think everyone in this conversation is absolutely human. And the idea here is, is that, sure, someone's going to pay for this. Um, but once it was paid, it wasn't done. For, yeah. for <laughs> but you know what? Something got paid. But, you know, my pride is still hurt. I still think that there's a wrong here. And so then he goes back after them. And so it, it's, it's a, number one, it's almost unbelievable that, is, that God is letting his son die, letting the divine die for we, the little ones. That's hard to believe and, and can be hard to accept. But then for God afterwards to have purchased us with his blood, uh, to say, why don't you come up in here, sit next to me? Why don't you be a part of me and be something wonderful? rather than say, okay, now work in my coal mines for all of eternity, uh, rather than making us work, pay it off somehow, or rather than, he, he, he doesn't give us any, any heavy labor. He doesn't give us things to lift. He doesn't give us a lot of work. We need to obey. We need to be good. But that's simply being like him um, and, 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 and reflecting his light. He doesn't make us pay this back once he has paid for it. And that um, is a demonstration of how willing he is to accept this debt. And on that, um, the, the gospel is, is when you compare it to all these other religions, it, it shows us that we're a lot worse than we think we are. Um, but the hope that it gives us is unbelievably great. Um, I mean, Buddhism, Hinduism, like all these other religions, um, people are bad, but they're not that bad because innately there are some things that are good. Like the Bible says, you, you are utterly sinful um, and you can't do a thing about it. You need me to come down there and clean it up, God says. So it is incredibly humbling. And that's part of the uh, repulsion, I think, that we feel toward the gospel, that, that people feel toward the gospel. But when you see what God's doing, uh, only, only Christ lifts us up. I want to mention one more thing, though, in our conversations with Muslims, um, and it's I probably want to mention it because I had a conversation with a Muslim this morning. Um, or he's a he's a brother in Christ now, but he's still struggling with some some concepts that he learned uh, in Islam. And that is, if Jesus is this mediator, if he's this sacrifice and this mediator, and he has his hands on both of us, God and man, 
then what do I do with this idea that the Lord is one? And that's going to be a major stumbling block with a lot of Muslims. And that's probably a long conversation. Uh, we could probably have a whole other series on, on the Trinity and the triune God. Um, but one concept that really helped him this morning was the idea that God is love. And most Muslims would agree with this idea. And they'll agree with the idea that God is unchangeable. He is eternal. And the qualities that make him God have been there from like forever. Mm -hmm. And so when you say that God is love, before he made people, before he said, let there be light, who was he loving? And he kind of stopped this, this brother in Christ. And he's like, well, when he created people, he was ready to love people. I said, no, but he's always been love. God is love. Who is he loving? Mm -hmm. And that at least I've found it, it's, it's a way of furrowing up the ground, tilling up these stagnant thoughts of, oh, well, God is one. That means that he's, there's, there's like the tri Trinity. That's just ridiculous. That's paganism. That's polytheism. And they begin to realize, no, there's something inherent in God's nature. That means there's more than one who is God. Uh, and that's, that's helped to relieve some of the pressure uh, of Muslims I've talked with. Uh, they begin to at least entertain the idea that Jesus could be God. Scott? Yeah, and, and that is going to be one of the things that Muslims bring up the most. Um, and uh, I, I would recommend, or I'll just tell you what I personally, I don't, I don't use or defend the term Trinity. I prefer to defend the language of scripture. Um, no. And there are some definitions of Trinity, like Euthanasius's, uh, that's unbiblical. And, and so uh, that, that's just an, an aside there. But also on what you said and what Dan said a few minutes ago about just this humbling nature and the great exaltation, it reminds me of the prodigal son, because we need to have the attitude of the prodigal son who comes back saying, not, okay, dad, you got to be happy to see me. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty special to you. No, he comes back and he says, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I don't deserve to be your son. Yeah. Let me just go be a servant. In and that's what he, that would be, you know, wonderful just to get that. But that's not what the father does. The father puts the ring on his finger, the shoes on his feet. And yeah. celebrates because my son is alive. Yeah. Uh, I want to hit this one passage from the uh, Quran real quick. And you mm -hmm. will meet some uh, Muslims who say it's not actually the Quran if it's not in Arabic. So if you want to call this an English translation of the Quran, that's fine. But just so people know what's in there, just this idea of starting where people are like if we wanted to talk with a jewish fella and he said i don't want to start in matthew i don't believe that you know mm -hmm. i'll study isaiah with you what would be we'd be willing to study isaiah with with the jew yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. Love to study isaiah with the jew mm -hmm. um so this is in uh um the quran and it says down here um, let me get to the spot. There's Adam, Noah, family of Abraham, etc. Here's Zechariah, 
and then the birth of John the Baptist, and then here's Mary, I believe the only woman mentioned in the Quran. And then she's going to have a baby. And then uh, here we go. I he, And he is, yeah. Uh, and I think it calls him the Messiah in there. Yeah, the angel said, oh Mary, God gives you good news of work from him. His name is the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, well esteemed in this world and the next and one of the nearest. And uh, he says, I heal the blind and the leprous and I revive the dead. Mm -hmm. So say, hey, my Bible tells me that Jesus did these things. Your Quran tells us that Jesus did these things. He's, you know, in both of our viewpoints, he's a person well worth talking about. Let's start there. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, I hope that this whole discussion has been helpful um, to the brother who asked this question, and I hope it's been helpful uh, to other people. These are the kinds of conversations we want to be having, um, and and these kinds of um, inroads. Uh, you, you don't, we want our conversation to be biblical, but that having a, a, a Bible study with someone is not the only way to start talking to people about the gospel is you can start where they are before we need to start. And you can restate what the Bible says in your own words, in a, a modern story and get people thinking. Um, and then maybe they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to be reading some more and then aim for a second conversation, aim for a third conversation. And um, if they say no to Bible study up front, it's because they haven't connected to, to their real world. They don't know that it's relevant and show them how relevant it is. And they'll start, well, where'd you get those ideas? Mm -hmm. let, me, let me talk to you about Jesus. And, and there you've got some inroads. So I really appreciate the question and look forward to more questions from our audience if they care to ask those. Amen. Amen. Jonathan, is your audio working? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Oh, okay. I'll close this out. Yeah. So thank you guys for the discussion. Sorry. Um, I was kind of quiet on my end. I've been having some technical problems and trying to get Facebook going. So for everyone that came in on Facebook, um, Facebook was having some issues earlier on, but we got that going partway through. So, all right. Um, well, thank you guys for your discussion. Thanks again, like what Justin said to our audience for your question. Um, and if you have more questions about that topic or any other topics you'd like us to discuss um, or, or listening, we want to talk about what you want to talk about. So you can submit those to us on our website, biblequest.tv. And we'll be happy to talk about those in future shows. But that's all that we have for this week. And so we will see you all next time. Lord willing.